I guess it's a good sign after I record some of these podcasts when I can't get them out of my brain right away, and I think, oh, why didn't I say this? I wanted to bring that up and I forgot. Why didn't I say that when the guest said that? There's some of that going on with this episode here with Tom Juno, an absolutely tremendous writer from Esquire. We talk about the state of pop music, where it is now, how it's always had a certain element or two about it that hasn't really changed dating back to the 1950s, really, but more so how the songs are crafted, if they lack soul, sort of, so to speak, because there isn't as much pure instrumentation going into them now the way they used to be. Sassoon musicians, songwriters themselves, pop stars themselves have always had songs written for them, but the methods in which those songs are both made, uh, shopped, outright shopped to pop stars these days, and certain stars will... You know, or their representation will take on songs and will, some will not take on others and pass them on to someone else and it becomes their pop song and, and, and a huge hit in their career. The sausage being made there is pretty interesting and we get into that. And overall, the instrumentation aspect of modern music and how digitalized, digitized, how much computers and technology has changed the way consumers intake music and how music is made, period. Is that good? Is it not good? Does it ultimately matter? Do young people even care about that? And I just used the phrase young people. Oh my God, I'm officially getting old. (laughs) That's bad. But it's a good discussion. Tom is very passionate about it, and I had a good time talking with him about that. You can follow him on Twitter at T-O-M-J-U-N-O-D. The D is silent. Really recommend his stuff, though. If anyone has kind of tracked his career at Esquire, they're very familiar with his work. The Falling Man, which I mentioned as I talked to him, is the piece he's most well-known for, and it relates to 9-11, and it is an unbelievably written piece. I think it's honestly one of the most amazing pieces of magazine journalism I've ever read. But if you want a few other places uh, to go and read Tom's work within Esquire, that is, he wrote about Michael Stipe back in 2001. Um, That's certainly worth worth a look. Steve Jobs and the Portal to the Invisible is something he wrote back in 2008. Definitely, definitely something I would recommend. Um, and then there's a there's a great piece he wrote. It's been almost 20 years since it went up. It's called My Father's Fashion Tips. The style in which he writes that, the language he uses, his syntax is really fantastic. So those are just a few I would highly, highly recommend. Take the time whenever you have, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes, depending on the length of those pieces to read. I think you'll really respect him as a writer. And clearly, he's got a huge passion for music. That's why I wanted to have him on the podcast. It was a tremendous honor for him to be on. Uh, Totally flattered and humbled to have him here. So here it is, me and Esquire's Tom Juno, talking about the state of pop music in 2015 and beyond. What's music like these days? How is it different from what it used to be, the good old days? Or are we just, well, some of us getting too old for our own good? I'm bringing on a guest here who has a lot of uh, rightful opinions and and a lot of passion about this particular subject, and this is really one of the more interesting concepts and episodes in the first season of the Records and Riffs podcast. He is Tom Juno. The D is silent. He's a writer at large for Esquire. Terrific, terrific, terrific writer. encourage you, after you listen to this podcast, go find his stuff. Uh, he also occasionally gets to write about music for Esquire, which is why I wanted to get him on here, because I've read some of his stuff before. And perhaps most well-known for being the lead singer of a, of a music outfit named Cousin Billy. Tom, thanks for coming on, man. How are you? It's great to be here, Matt. It is, it is great to have you. And we're going to discuss modern music, specifically pop music, how it's changed, and is it changing for the better? Because I think there's a natural progression with people that get older that the music that they hear on the radio is not as good as when it was when they were you know 10 15 20 years old i think some of that is unavoidable no matter what the quality of music is but there's are you are you telling me that i'm too old i'm not i'm not (laughs) although hold on you might be i I beg to differ i think that you are (laughs) i am not you might be the oldest guest in the first season of the records and riffs podcast now i think about it though but but you're what you're the tender age of what 35 so yeah we'll uh yeah we'll keep the sources tight-lipped on that but there are there are a few sources of material that we're going to be drawing from and discussing this one uh there's a book out called the song machine inside the hit factory it's written by uh, john seabrook tom has actually read the entire book so he's going to glean some talking points from that there's also a really good article go ahead and google this as well for those listening uh it was in the october issue of the atlantic the october 2015 issue it's called hit charade 
written by Nathaniel Rich, and it goes into how there are certain power figures and monarchs and, and a, a small group of people that are basically seen as the kingmakers behind the scenes with so many radio hits these days. You know, you might be able to call off the top of your head four or five really big songs in the past year or so, and there's a good chance all of those songs, although they come from four or five different artists, were written by one guy in his in his house on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. So there's a, there's a lot to, to go into here, but... Uh, the, I mean, um, where do you want to start, Tom? I'm, I'm well, going to tee you off. Go ahead. The Nathaniel Rich article, the occasion for that article is also uh, Seabrook's book, um, The Sound Machine. Yes. So, I mean, it's basically a discussion of that. And, you know, what, you know, what was really one of the interesting things about that article, the Nathaniel Rich article, is because it, it basically, you know, starts with saying that, hey, you know, you might think that songs by Rihanna, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry are, you know, homegrown, but they're actually made by, um, you know, a bunch of Swedish guys and Norwegian guys. And, you know, there was there was almost the implication of of something sinister uh, in the beginning of that story. And so the the critical fraternity, and or I wouldn't call it a fraternity because that means just one yeah. sex. Um, but the, the the critical apparatus, you know, responded on uh, mass on Twitter, saying, "No, no, everybody knows this. This is this is not news. This is this is just the way music is is made nowadays." And the hostility um, towards Nathaniel Rich's article was really interesting because, of course, I think that. You know, the underlying fracture in all of this is that, you know, you know, the whole um, critical apparatus for music these days is essentially popist. And I think that the un, that basically the the unwritten accusation uh, about the Nathaniel Rich piece was that he's a rockist and that basically his whole thing came down to a sort of a get off my lawn argument. Which takes us right back to your initial accusation, uh, Matt, that, that I'm probably too old to appreciate pop music these days. Uh, well, I'm not necessarily saying that, but you've got, you've got a daughter who's in her, what, pre-teens, early teen years? She's 12. Okay, so, so take me into your world right now and, and why you wanted to specifically you know, take the time to discuss this very topic on, on this podcast. What, what bothers you or intrigues you or you know, anything about current pop music? What, well, what is on your mind I mean, in regard listen, to this? I listen to a lot of it. Okay. Um, do you think that the Do you think pop music to, is flawed to, and not I genuine? I listen to a lot of it. Yeah. Because my because it's right right now it's you know it's all my daughter will listen to and you know and I'm definitely one of those dads who was, you know there was a time when I was just like so proud of of Neo like when she was six years old her favorite article was Johnny Cash and I was like yes <laughs> you know and it, and it, you know and if Bob Dylan came on you know on the radio or whatever I could say Neo who's that and she'd be like oh Bob Dylan I'd be like yes. You know, and now it's now she's you know she's completely um, lost to pop music, and you know, and her the first song was and it was the gateway drug I think for a lot of kids with pop was uh, uh, you know Dynamite by uh, Teo Cruz. Okay, and um, so that was like the first the first thing that really got her into it, and now basically you know we have to we we negotiate all the time you know and we're going somewhere. If I listen to my music on the way, she listens to her music on the way back, and, and vice versa. You're bargaining with your daughter in terms of radio. First of all, I love that. I'm, I'm probably going to do the same exact thing with my children as, as you know, I have them and they get older. Well, so. I got to tell you, after you've heard Fifth Harmonies, um, you know, give it to me. I'm worth it for like the 200th time. <laughs> I mean, you're you're willing to bargain away a lot. So that you don't have to listen. Cousin to Billy not covering "Give It to Me, I'm Worth It" these days is that yeah. safe to assume? Okay. It's a terrible song. Um, and the, and the thing that's you know, and I've heard it like you know, literally like a hundred times. And and that's the, it's the thing that really made me um, want to talk about this topic with you. Is the is the question? You know, I mean, pop music right now. I mean, it's really, it's a really interesting, it's, you know, in a really interesting phase as, as John Seabrook points out in his book, it's, you know, it's industrial, it's industrially made and it's industrially made in the same way that, 
um, you know, McDonald's hamburgers are industrially made. It's made with certain kind of taste points as targets to try to make it as addictive and as, as pleasurable a listening experience as possible. Um, it's not without interest at all. Right. Really at an interesting time. My question is, is it without soul? And that's, I mean, to me, a lot of those songs just have, you know, despite um, all of their sonic attractiveness, they just have a, a hollow, a hollow center. And I'm Worth It, to me, is like the classic, um, you know, uh, demonstration of that. I think there is something to that, but there, there are so many talking points here. So... I would argue there is definitely a lot to that. I think it's weird uh, and yet inevitable that we've reached a point where there is a formula and there are certain oral, you know, A-U-R-A-L algorithms that people are determining, okay, this much of this beat or this quick saxophone drop or this four-bar electric guitar that might not even come from an electric guitar in this specific spot it doesn't come from an electric guitar exactly so and these these things to the to the modern listener who intakes music casually on his or her phone in such a disposable way these are the things that are going to make grab their attention so that they want it for you know, I want to hear that song 70 times in a week and then I'm done with it. it I think with a lot of pop music, there ha- we have come to that. But what I want to ask you is, in terms of how, where it's come from and who's writing it, I, I don't necessarily, I guess, philosophically have an issue with the fact that a pop star might have a song that was written by a Swedish dude and then, do I. because that's that has been around okay i just wanted yeah, to kind of i mean music factories hit factories have been a fact of yes of of you know pop music reality since you know late 50s at least and you know really it began you know as uh you know seabrook points out in the book it really began before that you know irving berlin worked for a hit factory um obviously uh, phil Spector worked for a hit factory and you know, many of the songs that we cherish out of, you know, the 60s, out of Motown, you know, came from industrially made hit factories. Without I, I, a doubt. To, to me, but to me, the difference is um, is how it's made. I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, who makes it is not is not such a, is not such a big deal. The fact that, you know, that Max Martin... Um, you know, wrote more than half of, you know, Taylor Swift's, you know, 1989 record. And in fact, all the hits, um, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me. But what's, what's really interesting to me is, you know, how it's made and that's not made by people, that it's made by machines. I mean, there, there are no live musicians on these records anymore. They're all made on, you know, laptops they are all made with pro tools or whatever. And, you know, I, you know, I was, I've been thinking about this because a few nights ago I watched the um, on Netflix. I went and saw um, Wrecking Crew, the documentary about the you know the studio scene in L.A. in the 1960s. You know, with with Hal Blaine on the drums and um, you know Tommy Tedesco on the guitar and Carol Kay on the bass. And you know, and these people were like, I mean, they were geniuses, <laughs> hmm. and and you know, they account for, you know, a lot of the pop music. Did they work for a, you know, a hit factory? Did they work for a sound machine? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you know, a couple of months ago, I had this, I had this moment when I was, you know, walking around in a supermarket and I heard the old, old, old Gary Lewis and the Playboy song, This Diamond Ring. Now, to date myself, that was one of the first songs I ever loved. My older brother, ten years older than me, had the forty-five, and so you know, I, I, I you know, I, you know, I, I would spend days listening to the forty-five. But you know, that song has sort of passed from my memory. But when I was walking around the supermarket, I listened to it, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's Hal Blaine on the drums!" <laughs> and it was. 
And, you know, and you can just listen to song after song after song, and you hear the signatures of these people, and they're not signatures of machines. And then when you, you know, when I watched um, The Wrecking Crew, I mean, I, I mean, I got really emotional at the end of it because these people gave their lives to making this music. I mean, they put everything they had into it, and then they were, you know, then they were done, then they were kind of used up. And, you know, but for 10 years they made pop music and they, you know, applied their sweat and their genius and all their learning to it. And that, you know, I would argue that that is still in the music and that is still the signature. And, you know, I mean, Max Martin's, you know, nobody's going to listen to I'm Worth It and say, oh, my God, that's that's Max Martin's laptop. Hmm. I think there's something to that. The Muscle, Muscle Shoals, by the way, is another another one documentary um, that kind of touches into what you're what you're speaking about. Uh, you can watch that on Netflix, and it's there's there's something to be said for the session musician how how it is dying um, and isn't what it once was. I, I will say this: I've got a buddy who has tried to get into you know the songwriting business in terms of of working for a hit factory or, or just writing music and he's done it he's done it uh, you know and i've actually talked with him about modern music dubstep and you know this really heavy shift toward electronica right. and his thoughts are listen this is going to be a, a long phase of modern popular music because the technology is there it's ne we're never going to not go back to it just the way that when certain instruments and when the electric guitar got popularized we're never going to totally abandon that you know there were people that hated the electric guitar in the in the 50s and early 60s sure, because it wasn't sure. I spend I spend you know all my days mourning the death of the guitar solo and <laughs> the, and the and the you know the rise of the featured rap which has essentially replaced the guitar solo. The guitar break is gone, and now you have the guest rap, which is just like, oh. I get you. And by the way, uh, first season, <laughs> a Guitar Gods episode with Jay Busby. We kind of get into that. Highly recommend that you listen to that. If we're touching into something here, listeners might want to go into the... If you're if you're big time on guitar stuff, we have a, a very long episode dedicated to Guitar Gods and what happened to the guitar solo and why it might never truly come back. But point I'm making is... Listen, dubstep and this electronic adaptation in pop music, it's simply what the technology is allowing now. And by the way, there is certainly, I would agree, by the way, Tom, that there is an element of soul that is not there. I definitely think there is a contingent of people that would really strongly argue against that with us. That they, sure, they would say, listen, I do not have an impact, a feeling, an emotion, or response to listening to any kind of music as when I'm listening to house music, EDM, and there's a certain kind of beat, especially if I'm in an environment like a club or whatever, I'm going to get a more, it, it's going to touch me in ways that no other music can. And I think there's legitimacy to that, but I do think sure. broadly speaking, yes, when you are using uh, computers strictly to make music and you're not even, you know, test driving things on on guitars or laying down simple drum beats with a with a four-piece kit in the studio I, I think there is something to that because also it's undeniable to me that while the people that are that are becoming king makers and writing these pop hits and they have an undeniable talent listen you know it, it can have certain algorithms to it and formulas and whatever like i don't doubt that they're working hard and they know what they're doing and they're tremendously talented and adept at using computers to do what they're doing but i would say an organic quality to it is undeniably gone because, and maybe this is because I love playing the guitar and I love playing the drums and I've, I certainly embrace musicianship and I really appreciate uh, the, the true sweat and grind that comes with someone sitting in a basement or a room for three and a half months and, and just killing themselves over a three and a half minute pop hit that becomes eventually, you know, known by the masses. I think there's a romanticism to that, but I, I would agree that, the organic quality of, of pop music today is not what it was. But, and one more thing, I'll let you kind of lift off from that. I'll also say there, there has been crap at the top of the charts forever. I mean, sure. without a doubt, like we're not saying that popular mu music was infallible from the mid sixties all the way up to the early nineties or whatever. No, there's always been stuff 
at the top of the charts that that you know one hit wonders or, or things that you would listen to now and you'd be like no i mean it was never listenable it was never good then it's not good now so this is certainly yeah. been something that has been applied across decades sure billy billy don't be a hero will never be a good song and it you know it you know it was one of those songs that when i was you know in you know a kid that was like one of the charting songs and it's a you know there's a lot there's you know it's always been crap but but i think that it's um you know it's the pervasiveness of a kind of of, of a kind of sound um like I said, I mean, there's tremendous sonic inventiveness to um, the manufacture, uh, emphasis on manufacture of music right now. I don't know if you saw a few weeks ago, the Times ran a, um, a sort of a video feature on the, the making with Skrillex and Diplo of um, Justin Bieber's, you know, most recent song. And it was really interesting. It was really interesting. But I mean, but but to me, the signature of it was that, you know, Justin Bieber was, you know, he basically, you know, came into the studio with sort of an acoustic rendition of the song. And then, you know, the, the whole song was transformed, you know, and, I'm, you know, to the better and became, you know, a really interesting piece of music. But the thing that I remember from that from that piece is, you know, uh, you know, basically um, Bieber going, oh, man, these these sounds, these beats, they're, they're really expensive. These are really huh. expensive sounding things. And to me, that's, that's like, you know, that's perfect. That's exactly, you know, what I'm, what I'm, you know, kind of getting at, you know, like, like when I hear, when I hear like, you know, Fifth Harmony sing that horrible song, I'm like, yeah, this is expensive. And that's exactly what it's meant to sound like. I, you know, and I think that the other thing that, that really, um, that really sort of, you know, gets me is that, um, you know, a lot of the music that Seabrook talks about, it's made, you know, it's made, it's made the, 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 the basic unit of pop music, the basic, um, foundation is, uh, something that, you know, Seabrook calls, you know, track and hook that the, you know, that the, you know, Max Martin, Dr. Luke, you know, makes these, you know, they make the beats, they make the track in the, in this, on their computers, and then they have somebody come in, you know, and then they have, and they'll have dozens of people come in and give this a try, listen to the track, sing over it, nonsense words, la, 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 but come up, you know, for, out of that, come out with the hook. And then they find the hook that works with that track. And then they go and, and find, you know, lyricists. And it all happens, you know, very, very fast. And that's it. But the the thing that really sort of gets me about it and it goes back to what we we're saying is that the people who do it, you know, are no longer people who have had sort of lives. The people who execute the vision of the producer are generally either they're either child stars or people emerging from child stardom. They're people who have been doing, um, you know, music and singing, you know, singing for their supper since they were like six years old. And, you know, and that's the other interesting thing is that, you know, the, is that, you know, we're not only listening to music made by, you know, Swedish geniuses, we are listening to music that's being, you know, that's sung by, um, you know, people whose, you know, entire life experience is Nickelodeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is something to that. I also found it interesting uh, in Richard's review. He had mentioned it's almost like the actor that passes on a part. Like an actor gets a really a movie gets big, and a certain actor makes a part, and you're like, you find out later, oh, another actor totally passed over that who who maybe should have taken the role. But like um, TLC declined having Baby One More Time, which made right. Britney Spears' his career. Um, and then Brit Britney, and then Britney passed on Umbrella, Umbrella, yeah. which made Rihanna. You right. know, which is kind of you know. So these songs, which kind of just get shopped out in this in this weird way, it's it's very interesting to me. I also think this. I'm not. Trust me, I'm nowhere near up to date on on Swedish pop music culture, but I feel like it was destined to be like this because I think that part of the world has always embraced, or at least in the past 15, 20 years, has embraced this kind of approach to songwriting and popular music yeah, and yeah it definitely goes back to definitely goes back to like 
Well, I think I think that um, Seabrook traces traces it back to like Ace of Base. Oh, there you go. You know, how about that? I I, I don't know if going see what I have a tr tr trouble looking forward, Tom, is we see what it is now. I, I think it's pretty much impossible to predict where music will go in the future. But to me, it seems we've almost hit this point in terms of how people get the music, ingest it, the technology involved. I don't, I'm not sure where the evolutionary step is going to come. I, I guess it's got to come. I mean, it is going to come in some, in some way because music is constantly changing even if so much of it feels like it's been recycled to death, uh, I don't know what to expect in the next 20 years from popular music. I mean, there will always be an element of disposability with it, I guess, but I don't think that it can sustain the current model it's in without diminishing returns, personally, uh, on a grand scheme. I think, do you kind of get what I'm saying there? And, and if, I, if I so totally get what you're saying, and I'm glad that you brought it up because I wanted to talk to you about that, um, is, is basically... You know the you know basically the, the you know the means of uh, means of production I guess is in you know the thing that is in everybody's hands I mean that's the interesting thing about it is that everybody has laptop computers so that the means of production is in everybody's hands but the means of distribution are definitely not in everybody's hands which you know leads to a, a different you know you know and and pretty pretty complicated you know question about like how does the music get out you know get out and who gets paid for it so the thing that i wanted to bring up and the question that i wanted to ask you is that you know i mean like the 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 hit factories of the 60s their dominance was interrupted or at least challenged in a huge way by the rise of the beatles the rise of the british band model where you had and the album model i would argue album yeah the album model guys who could play their instruments guys who sang their own songs guys who wrote their own songs guys called the beatles and you know and that was that was the you know the revolution that basically you know came up and and you know aimed to you know to shake the foundations of the brill building so I guess my question is, is that even possible now? I mean, is it possible for like a fantastic human band to come around and, and completely, you know, evolve the model? I have thought about this so many times over the years. I basically, my simple answer is, I would so love for the, there to be another version of the Beatles happen in my lifetime because obviously the Beatles didn't happen in my own lifetime. So I'd love to see something like that happen. Yeah. I, I cannot possibly see how that can ever happen again. Because here's, here's what I think, because they, uh, Seabrook has a chapter at the end um, basically on, on Spotify and how much people get paid or not get paid. Yep. I mean, um, Roseanne Cash... I think last year got paid by Spotify $160. Yeah, it's insane. There, there was uh, a there was an article in the New Yorker, by the way. I can't recall the author. I read it over the summer. It's that, probably Seabrook. It might have been Seabrook, um, yeah. who, who does it. It was a huge deep dive on the problems with Spotify and how Spotify. There was certainly a bubble here because I mentioned this on another podcast. I'll I'll post the question to you right now. You might know it. Um, but what what method, a uh, distribution method? would be your guess as to how people intake music more than any other way, whether it be Spotify or any other kind of thing. What, what would be your guess? How people listen to music in 2015. Right now? Yeah, which whether it's Spotify, Pandora, you know, what... Radio, I guess. No, it is YouTube, and it's not even close. Okay, right. So... so right. Yeah, my, daughter, my daughter's a YouTuber. Exactly. So is, uh, the article in The New Yorker, is basically saying that there there very much could be a bubble here in terms of Spotify and the money because it's going to probably swing back or you're going to have to you're going to have to pay these artists they're going to have to make money uh, otherwise you're going to be seeing I don't know, whether whether it be lawsuits and they've they've gone through plenty I mean there's also big time red tape in terms of international stuff and you can get Spotify and Pandora in some countries and not others so it's it's very convoluted but anyway continue with your thought at you admit but let's go well let's go back to the to the Beatles question let's go back to the um, the question of whether it's even possible 
for a play-your-own instruments, sing-your-own songs band to come along and and upend, you know, the colossus that's now known as as pop music. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, I would like to think that, but the fact is, is that, you know, would any of these guys do it for the money that's available? You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I think eventually, I mean, the thing that like, I mean, I used to, I used to be like a really, really big boxing fan. And, you know, and there was all these, used to be all these calls to, you know, abolish boxing. But the thing that has made boxing like a secondary sport and that has sort of, you know, killed it is not the um, fact that, that, you know, it was abolished from top down. The thing that made boxing, you know, sort of what it is now is that, you know, simply the very best people don't go into it anymore. You know, so when you watch a fight, it's not like watching a fight that, you know, took place 40 years ago because they're just, you know, really, really high end athletes don't do it. And and so when you have a, a, a model that no longer draws talent, you know, everything, you know, changes and there are um, changes that take place that have, no, you know, nothing to do with like larger, you know, forces. And and so my my question is, is, you know, will, would Lennon and McCartney even bother to go hmm. into music right now? Or would they or would they open a restaurant? And so that's what I think. I think that that's like the end of I think that like that's like the end of this conversation. I think that, you know, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, <laughs> circa circa 2015. I don't think that they make music. I think they open a gastro pub in London. Uh, no, I think they do make music. By the way, Lennon or McCartney, which one? Yeah, I, I'm just curious. Lennon. OK, uh, I'm a McCartney. Um, so I think they do. Listen, I'll, first of all, I'll say this. There are still plenty of contemporary bands bands you know that have been around for 15 years or less that i think make terrific music that i really enjoy for right. example, my morning jacket i think is an absolutely stellar rock band listen like, i love a lot of bands not yes right. but they I, are not they are I'm not asking the question i know that i know i'm just i'm just saying i i want people to realize that you know we're not we're not we're not completely uh you know ignoring that facet we're simply talking about can a music outfit come in and have the inspiration and desire and the overall ability and talent to turn the music business on its head the way that the Beatles once did. I don't think that is possible. I would love to believe it's possible, but I will also say this, and I'll link this uh, for anyone listening. If you go to mattnorlander.com, I'll link the video. And Tom, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. I tweeted it out recently. Noel Gallagher from Oasis. It's like a 30-minute video on a Canadian radio station. The whole interview is just terrific, and Noel Gallagher is the best quote, I think, in the history of rock. He is funny, self-deprecating, insulting. He's incredible. But he's really uh, he's in a mode that I you don't see too much of him, and just in terms of introspection, just very paced. But he gets to a point near the end of the interview where he talks about people that have come up to him, and Oasis was just a huge band. I mean, honestly, that band met the hype, and there was so much hype. They were supposed to be the next Beatles, and they weren't that, but they were in an unbelievable hit writing band and and Noel Gallagher basically yeah. says like write a fucking chorus like don't worry about anything else don't worry about the business don't worry about making the money all that will come if you simply have the ability to write a chorus like there are no grand choruses from bands in terms of like hits 5 10 15 deep that doesn't simply exist anymore in a way where it's bringing in the masses you might have the occasional one or two hit wonder from a band like like there's another perfect example and this also might, I can't remember where I read this, but like, imagine Dragons, okay, don't really know their music at all. They're probably one of the biggest, quote, alt-rock bands. Mm-hmm. You could not, I could not tell you one of their songs. I could not point out their lead singer walking down the street. There is simply a disconnect with pop music or even rock pop music today and how it's, there's there's not an emotional attachment the way that was. And I think there, I have many theories on this, Tom. One of them, I actually think radio's influence goes down by the year i mean because of the way yeah. people intake music but the radio kind of also did it to itself a little bit uh with some of the big com- conglomerates that run it but it's kind of a long way of answering your question i want to believe that it can happen and there are still good bands but i don't think with the trends we've seen in music how it's come to be what it is i'll also add the fact that if you really look at the patterns of popular music regardless you know pop music rock whatever you know mainstream music in america over the past 50 years 
we are, in my opinion, in the midst of the longest epoch uh, of of music on the radio in terms of rap music and and electronica. Like this has been going on now since basically. 01, 02, there have been other stars, but but yeah. overall, the element of having rap as the basis of, of popular music is now stretching more than a decade and a half, and if you look at every other kind of genre of popular music, Tom, that it's never lasted this long, so I also think we've hit this weird plateau, which brings me back to, like, I don't know what to expect for the future, because I'm not seeing any sort of sea change on the horizon here. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, to go back to what you said about rights and fucking choruses, I mean, the interesting thing about, you know, um, the Swedes and, you know, the Dr. Lutes of the world is that it's all about the chorus. I mean, they their whole idea is to have a hook, you know, seconds into the song and then another hook and then another hook. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether all three of those, you know, hooks are, um, you know, written or, or sung or come up with invented by different people. They sort of collect them. They put them on the track. And, you know, it's so those songs are, are they're just loaded with choruses and hooks. And that's probably why the only song that's even like identifiably a rock song that's on the radio right now is that, you know, terrible Fallout Boy song whose hook is the theme music from the Munsters from 1965. <laughs> All right, one. It's, I feel bad. I can't even. So, I, the, the only one so is it the century? Is it that that? that song and I, I weep. Is it the Remember Me for Centuries? Is that what you're? Uh, no, no, it's a newer one. See, I'm not even familiar with this one. <laughs> this is bad on my part. Uma Thurman song. Okay. It's about dancing like Uma Thurman. I mean, you know, Uma Thurman last danced in a movie what in like 1994. <laughs> and the the. The uh, whatchamacallit, the um, the hook is lifted from the Munsters theme from Get 1965. The song is just like a such an admission of defeat. And then then the singer sounds uncomfortably like really bad Phil Collins. So that's why that's why my daughter and I negotiate about, about music. I, you know, it's there's a lot of songs I do like, but there's certain songs I can't tolerate. And that's one of them. Are we are we perhaps and I want to be self-aware in this discussion here. I don't want to feel like we're overblowing the issue here. I do think music could be, could be, you know, I feel like it could be better. And I try and be open-minded about, about modern music on the radio, but it just, it's not, I'm, I'm not drawn to it in 90% of cases. Listen, there are good songs, like for, for example, like Miley Cyrus, whose current music, I mean, listen, this is a phase in my opinion, but her, her song Party in the USA, that is a tremendous pop song to me. Like uh -huh. there, uh, occasionally there comes, you know, there are like, like Shake It Off by Taylor Swift, even if it wasn't written by her. I don't love the song, but I can at least acknowledge how that's got a distinct hook to it and is a good pop song. So I think that genuinely good pop songs that will live on for 15, 20, 25 years are out there, but I don't think they're nearly as prominent as they once were. I just, you know, are we are we overstating the the state of the music business and and is it is it dying? I don't know. I mean, I don't, music is always going to be around. I just think it's going to constantly have to be evolving because the power of of the business lies in consumers' hands more than ever by sheer fact that you can get it for free on your own terms if you show if you so choose to and and maybe these things are tied into the fact that music is trying to be made as quickly as possible in these in these ways that they weren't ever before well they they're it's made quickly as possible and it's made often um on the road uh, by bands who are on tour because and i and i uh use the word bands um, probably imprecisely there by artists by performers who are on tour because touring is where the money is so they go and they set up mobile units in like parking lots of stadiums and record you know a single so that that artist has a single to come out and they are made really really fast and you know that changes things too i mean you know i mean i think the other the other thing that we were thinking of talking about here was prog rock yeah um, <laughs> that that might be a future rep but feel, feel free to yeah. uh feel free to, to dip into this right now but it's but it's you know it's hard to do to do the lamb lies down on broadway and you know and in you know uh one night's work in a parking lot in <laughs> yes 
you can't, you can't exactly write 21-12 over the course of a weekend, yeah. and close to the edge really will take away five years off your life at the end of it because that's just, you know, some of this stuff is... There's there's yeah. definitely something to that, but um, but I, I also... I, see, I try not to get too narrow-minded about this stuff because I, I enjoy prog rock for the fact that when I listen to it, and I get, like, there are people that cannot stand it. Like, I, and I don't fault them. Like, like what you like. I, I, I refuse to ever, like, even the people that like the music we're talking about right now, I don't judge them for it. Like what you want to like, got no issue with that whatsoever. But when I listen to Prague, what I like about it is when I hear it, I can, there is a distinct sense of satisfaction on my behalf that I'm listening to something that people quite clearly slaved over to just sweat hours 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 get it right it's it's very it's you know the toughest music to play especially live when you see these acts that are able to do this live right, right. um but you know what and people might listen to this and might be thinking like i'm we might not be hitting on something i will also fully acknowledge that a lot of prog is way too self-indulgent and absolutely sure. there is there's is a rightful criticism that prog could be considered even less soulless than the stuff contemporarily that we're talking about and i think yeah. in some in some cases that's absolutely that's that's a totally fair criticism sure and and obviously we we are bringing up a, a you know an incredibly false comparison between pop music as it exists now and prog as it existed at a certain time in the in the you know increasingly distant past i think that you know an, a more apt comparison is certainly between disposable pop shit now and the and the disposable pop shit of you know 1978 or whatever um you know and and i think an argument can be made that you know that sonically at least that you know the music is you know, a lot more interesting now than it was then. But, um, yeah, to me, it goes back to that question of, of soul and that question of that, you know, that indefinable quality that, that there's a, a person here that wants, you know, to be heard in a very particular way. And, you know, is that, is that what's happening and is that what you hear now? And I, I hear, you know, I hear very little of it. I mean, there's a lot of songs that I listen to and really like. I mean, like Nick Jonas has a new song, Levels. I really like it. It's a really good song. But, um, you know, is it, is, it, is it a song that ever has the potential to sort of, you know, surprise you by like making the hair stand up on your arms? And, you know, no. I'm going to, I want to, I want to basically put you on the spot here. I'm, I'm looking right now at the 2014, according to Billboard, the top artists of 2014, okay? Okay. And I want yes or no reaction to you. I'm going to I'm going to list off. I'll say I'll say the top 20 because there's a few names here. Okay. So I'm going to list them off to you and you're going to I'm going to basically like if I said you know, if we did this in 83 and Prince would have been thumbs, there. like Thumbs up, thumbs down? Thumb, but not just thumbs up, thumbs down, but I'm talking like thumbs up, thumbs down in terms of their music and legacy will even like it'll they'll they will have music that's either being made now or will continue to be made like 15 years from now will they still be relevant like okay well i think that you can just sweepingly say well no, okay hold on let's do this single one of them. no no i don't think you can say no to every single one of them okay so go okay and maybe 15 years is even too much but here we go okay uh one direction no Katy perry yes i would say no Katy perry beyonce Yes. Yes, but we have our own issues with Beyonce. That's a separate yes. podcast. Yes. Taylor Swift. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Justin Timberlake. Mm, overrated, I think, as as a as a musician. But um, you know, he he's he has shown the capacity to evolve over time. So I would say yes. I would say yes. And by the way, you said it sweepingly no, and you're at four yeses and one no. So I know. Far. I know. <laughs> I, but that's because you're at the top of the. List. I know. I I know. I haven't gotten the first. All right. So here we go. Here we go. I know this is where yeah. it's going to turn. By the way, interesting that you think Timberlake's overrated. Um, Iggy Azalea. No. Ariana Grande. Mm, don't know. Jury's out. Oh, I would say no. Interesting. Okay. Um, okay. No, but I mean, she's actually, you know. I mean, she, she can, can sing have, like she don't... can sing. And, and I think that there's the possibility of a Mariah Carey ish career there. So okay. who knows? Miley Cyrus, Who's Miley, Miley Cyrus. Mm, I'll, I'll say, um, you know, I mean, she's interesting because I think that she has a chance of that. If 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 there is going to get like people who get sick of it and who want to make music in a different way, just simply because they're enough of a pain in the ass to do so, she might be that. OK. 
I would say I would I would say jury's out. If I had to go one way or the out. other, I would say yes, barely. Uh, yeah. Pharrell Williams. Um, will he be making music in fifteen years? He's well, not even that. But hold on, not even just making music in fifteen years. But will the music that he has made will it still be? Will it still be things that we're listening to? Will it still matter? Still have? I'll so... listen to Happy Till I Die. Exactly. So the answer with Pharrell is he, Pharrell has done yeah. so much. He's kind of an yeah. interesting case because he's really as much of a producer and a writer as he is. I mean, I might listen to Happy as I die. You know what I mean? It's just it's that kind of song. We it's, well, we mentioned what's I mentioned like certain pop songs that have hit. Happy is among you know the most successful ones ever, yes. and that's a recent example. Number ten on the Billboard list of the top artists of 2014. A little surprising to me, but it is Eminem, who's kind of his legacy's already been established. Yes. But but, I mean, he kind of like to me he was almost like um, a minor league player that just absolutely rocked it his first like three seasons and he's kind yeah, of yeah. he's kind of been batting like 220 ever since but yeah i agree but, but yeah, I, he still he still hits for power but low average I would yeah say. okay low fair enough i would say yes uh lord um don't you know that's really interesting i mean she's so young and you know i, I mean i thought that you know that those songs that she came out with you know royals and the whatever team song that she came out with you know, I thought that those were really interesting because they were so different message-wise from anything on the radio. Um, but I, I think jury's out. Okay. Luke Bryan. Who? <laughs> 13 is Sam Smith, also still young. Really young. I don't know. I mean, that guy's got amazing chops, but he's a big crybaby, isn't he? Still from Tom Petty, man. Uh, yeah. 14, so, uh, 14 is an artist who... But wait a second. I mean, okay. I mean, Sam Smith is the guy that has, I mean, he is the kind of guy that has a long career. Yeah, but you can have a long career and not ultimately yeah. really matter. Like, okay, well, I'd say whether Sam Smith is going to matter, I would say no. Okay, so I would put it this way, and since it was 2014, it was an off year for her. She's on this list. But people have called Sam Smith the male Adele. Like, to me, Adele is a legitimate modern pop talent, almost someone yeah. who kind of transcends what we're talking about. Like, to me... What Adele will achieve will will greatly overshadow anything that Sam Smith yeah, can come close to. Fourteen is a guy who, I, I, he just has never done it for me. But a lot of people really like his music. To me, it is and stale is not the right word. I just have no emotional reaction. John Legend. Um, that's interesting. I I don't have a lot of emotional reaction to it either. Um, um, you know, I know, you know, even, you know, my wife and I will, you know, talk about it and just say, oh, I don't get it. But, yeah. uh, you know, people, people do like it. So, yeah, I would think he probably has staying power. By the way, we're at many more yeses than you ever thought I, were going to happen. I know. Listen to this. Okay. 15, I got to believe you think is a no. One Republic. No. They, you know, they, even though I like those, I, I like a lot of those songs, but I would say no. Yeah. I mean, I would say I would say that the same thing that you said about Imagine Imagine Dragons could apply to One Republic. I think you're right on. Absolutely, sixteen is the most popular rapper on the planet. Can you guess who that is? Mm, not this, not this second. Drake. Oh yeah, he's a he's got that new song blingering. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing with Drake, by the way. Just a quick aside for me. So I cover college basketball primarily for a living. I have not found one athlete who does not love Drake. It, there's something about him. I don't get it. He, he's not for me, but people... Not for me. Not for me. But I remember, I remember when every athlete that you talked to tried to sing R. Kelly's song. Because, <laughs> I mean, all those, guys, all those guys think they can sing, which is just hilarious. A quick random yeah. note. Uh, as we go through this, things are just popping through my... I, so I'm sitting, like, putting baby stuff together the other night, and... Um, R. Kelly's got a new album coming out, apparently. And apparently, I didn't I didn't fact-check or research this, but he was on TV, and he said he wrote, like, 450 songs for his latest record. Not that they're all on them. He just wrote... I, I just... That seems insane to me, 450 songs. But he said it, um, so more props to you, R. Kelly, if you're actually trying to write 450 songs. Again, though, how those songs are being written and whether you actually wrote them is another right, question exactly. altogether. Uh, 17, I have never heard of this person in my life. Uh, Jason Derulo? No idea who uh, that is. I, yeah, my daughter loves Jason Derulo. He had that song uh, "Talk Dirty to Me" was his big hit. With it, it okay, of, it, I know that song. It, it introduced that sort of you know Middle Eastern off-key saxophone thing. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's now become sort of ubiquitous. Um, you know, do I think no? 
anyway, so my answer is no, but I think that, you know, I need, like, I, I think that my daughter would definitely, definitely beg to differ on that. She really likes Jason Derulo. 18 is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate debate case here, I guess. Maybe for some, not for me. But Justin Bieber was the 18th biggest artist in 2014, according, according to Um Whether his, you know, whether his stardom becomes a, a cautionary tale um, is going to be, you know, part of the thing that um, influences, you know, the answer to this question. I mean, to me, he, I mean, I, he's clearly, um, you know, trying to uh, to grow as an artist. That music, um, you know, he's a producer's dream in that way. That music doesn't doesn't affect me in any way. So I'd say no. 19 is Imagine Dragons. Uh, our yeah. answer is a resounding no. 20 is one of the worst band names going in current music, Florida Georgia Line. Well, I mean, that's the, if, if that music is, um, you know, sort of, you know, look back fondly or, or matters. There is no shot. <laughs> yeah, there is no God, clearly. So um, so I would say I would say I hope. I hope no. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, a couple quick more ones that are were outside of it because I'm just looking at the list and we're on this topic and I'm I'm just riveted by it to be honest. Nicki Minaj. So here I'm just gonna toss them out. Nicki Minaj, Lady Gaga, Ed Sheeran, and Bruno Mars. I would say of those, I would say I think first of all, Ed Sheeran has legitimate talent. Um, he can play the guitar and he he can work those pedals tremendously well. He can entertain a crowd of 30,000 people and it is just him on a stage. That right. takes legitimate talent. His music is not for me, but right. I absolutely acknowledge what he does. I don't know if he will last. I don't know if Ed Sheeran will matter five years from now, but he clearly matters right now. Um, Gaga's got undeniable talent to me and I think could be setting herself up for a very nice 30-year career if she kind of, she's. I think she's moved past her, you know, art pop phase and you know she's done stuff with tony bennett she's moving on uh, i don't know i i, I miss to, the art pop stuff though man i don't really uh, well okay i mean to a certain extent i did a podcast with bomani jones in this first season about david bowie and we kind of compared what gaga has done to what kind of bowie was doing because he had a little bit of, of that with his 70s stuff but um i don't know minaj she's a huge star in, in hip-hop I, I can't star. i can't i can't forecast bruno mars to me I love what he does. Some people, I feel, Tom, don't necessarily um, find him to be... I don't know if genuine is the right word, but they're like, oh, he's kind of just aping older styles. Yeah. I actually like that about him. I like the fact that when I watch him, I'm like, you know what? Bruno Mars could have been an absolute superstar in 1966, and he's an, he's a superstar in 2015. I've, I've kind of yeah, liked yeah. him about him. I mean, I think that he's like... He, you know, when I was growing up, I still remember, you know, like Sammy Davis Jr. coming on TV... And, you know, like my parents going, what a performer. And and I definitely think that about Bruno Mars. It's like, what a performer. You know, he's just one of those guys. He's like a trooper. He's he could have he could have made it in, I think, at any time because he has that impulse to perform. He's got talent. He's a good looking kid, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And he also, I think, will have the distinction. I can't fact check this right now, but if he plays the Super Bowl halftime show in 2016, I think he'll be the first repeat performer, um, which is kind of crazy. He, he did a good job about a couple of years ago. Um, he did. But, yeah, well, I don't know. Those, those are just some of our modern pop stars. But, you know, look at that. There there are certainly, and maybe it's a good thing or a bad thing, that when we, when we went down the list of those artists, you know, we saw staying power with at least half of them, which is not what I would what I, what or maybe Or maybe, you know, we're just afraid of sounding old. Maybe we just don't want to, you know, maybe we don't want to offend the popist, you know, critical apparatus. Maybe we don't, you know, want to sound old. So we, you know, gave the break to, um, you like know, Lord Katie, or Katy Perry. Katie. Or well, you said Katy Perry. I don't think I Katy Perry. I'm, I'm a no with Katy Perry. The Katy Perry thing is always befuddled me a little bit but yeah I, i'm yeah Teenage dream was quite the quite the record uh, <laughs> i know so okay the the daughter uh if you off the top of your head or your best guess the the three or four artists that matter most to her right now as, as a 12 year old girl living in america the american south what what are they uh Nicki minaj um jason derulo and you know, basically, she has a, a you know the instinct to like like what I don't. So whatever I like, like you know, I, I'm worth it. 
to come back to that. Yeah. She loves that song. She loves that song. So, and I just like, I literally can't, can't stay. It's like nails on a blackboard for me. So, um, so she, but, but I, I would say male and female, um, she really likes, um, Jason Drula and Nicki Minaj the most, but, but, but the interesting thing is that it especially happened over this summer. I mean, I thought, I thought that this summer was an exceptionally poor summer for pop music. What was the song of the summer, Tom? Like I, well, they, they kept on trying to come up with summer songs. I mean, Maroon 5 had, you know, hurts like a, this summer's going to hurt like a motherfucker. (laughs) And, um, Demi Lovato had a summer song. So they, you know, people were really trying to break a summer song, but I don't think that any of those songs, are going to be listened to. I mean, true summer songs are so- songs that everybody listens to. You know, um, Super Bass in 2011, Call Me Maybe in 2012, Blurred yep. Lines in 2013. Those are, you know, true... And, true and Get Lucky, songs. I would argue, Get Lucky and Blurred Lines were, it was a neck and neck race there. Yeah, right, right. Um, this summer, I don't think, you know, I guess you could look at Trap Queen as that. I mean, a lot of people said that that was the song of summer, but, you know, that song didn't, it really would have been this song came out just too early. It came out four months too yeah. early for a song. No, the the song that would have been, but it came out too early was Uptown Funk. That would have been it, but it just it didn't it didn't get released. You know, in the spring, it, it you know that was uh that was but that's by far I think that's the biggest hit of the past. I mean, by predating that, I would say it's Uptown Funk. Predating that, it's Happy. Predating that is probably blurred line. Yeah, I'm just you know not all. It doesn't you know have to be a summer a summer song to necessarily be the biggest hit in a given year. But I, when I first heard Uptown Funk, I I was like this is, and then it had this weird backlash. But I heard it, and I was like this is the best pop song I've heard, I think since Silo's uh, Fuck You. I think that was, like that was my instinct when I heard it. I was like I actually really enjoy what's happening here. Um, but then it got so ubiquitous, which is what happens. That's the whole point of like these mega songs that get ubiquitous. And so then there was this backlash to it and which I didn't quite understand, but it's still, you know, you know, my daughter, my daughter has gotten sick of almost everything that's on pop radio right now. And you know, she listens to it exclusively intensively. Uh, but she is really, really sick of it. And so when a lot of songs come on uptown funk being one of them, she immediately says, you know, I, I can't stand this song anymore. And, you know, wants to change the channel. Which goes back to, and we'll wrap it up with this, the fact that when these songs are getting written, uh, the modern pop songs, they it's an assembly line type of feel. Okay, you get sick of this. Well, here's something that's a little different, but yet the same. Go right. obsess about this for the next three weeks of your life. And you know what? When you're done with that, go ahead and scroll on your Spotify favorites. We're going to have another one for you and another right. one. You know. So anyway, all right, Tom Juno. You can follow him on Twitter. You, this was a tremendous performance, by the way. I'm going to tap you down the road for a future episode, but at twi- on Twitter at t o m j u n o d, tremendous writer. The Falling Man is the one that he is that he is most well known for, um, and it's it's a gripping read. It has nothing to do with music, but I I cannot recommend it enough. I also wrote I also wrote last week on Esquire.com on the. Um... Uh, the Taylor Swift cover album by Ryan Adams. And I'm surprised that we did not go there. Well, okay, so we can touch on it real quick uh, if you want. Um, The reason why we didn't – I have a Taylor Swift – episode oh, yeah, in the yeah, first yeah. season we were going to talk about this and so else. so yeah. we kind of but listen we can touch on it we can we can hit it up real quick here um it, i enjoyed the record uh and it was i, I liked it for what it was but i thought there was a little bit of an overreaction and mm-hmm. maybe you're included in a little bit of this we can i we, am uh in terms of like okay ryan adams is a, is a legitimate songwriter okay he is considered one of the best of his generation rightfully so but he's you know he's he's a troublesome mind has been cantankerous has just he's kind of he's finally hitting a a nice cool dad phase i guess so to speak but yeah. because it's someone of like since adams and swift are friends and he 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 basically did the record like you would expect him to do it and granted it was good i thought the praise for it was a little overwrought like it was good don't get me wrong but as i tweeted like if you like the way that ryan adams sounds on this okay that's awesome there are seven ryan adams records that are so much better than this so go listen to those two that was my yeah and i think that you know the fact is i mean the, the you know the question for any record is whether you feel the need to listen to it again and I'm sort of been surprised that I've not, you know, Ooh. once I listened to it to write the piece, I've not had uh, a tremendous urge to go back there. And indeed, when I want to listen to one of those songs, 
<laughs> I listen to the Taylor Swift version. So, you know. Well, well, how about that? That is that is pretty interesting. But uh, for anyone that hasn't listened to the Ryan Adams 1989, it is, if you're into indie rockish approaches to that kind of stuff it's good it's not like totally stripped down to me that would be just him literally on an acoustic guitar it's not that there's production value to it and he made it kind of swiftly uh pun very much intended there but it sounds it sounds good i mean and i have not had a huge it's i've listened to it twice he, sounds great. he sings great on it sings oh yeah no listen the, the power of ryan adams in my opinion is is how he is able to uh put lyrics down and then when he delivers those lyrics to me it it hits on a level where it's it, like if it's, maybe you gotta pay attention a little more with his stuff than maybe others, but like uh, his talent is certainly it's undeniable in that regard. And I would love if popular music had more Ryan Adams in it, but I don't think we're necessarily drifting toward that anytime soon. Thank you, Tom, so much for coming on, man. We'll uh, we'll hook up down the road, and I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Take care.